Have you ever had an experience that years later you can remember it as if it happened only yesterday? I don't think I'll ever forget my first high school basketball game. I was a really skinny ninth grader and felt a bit intimidated by the idea of going up against guys two or three years older than I was who could grow facial hair, <laughs> something I still can't do really well. Before the first game my freshman year, my dad dropped me off for the team bus and wished me luck. I said, I hope I don't get in. <laughs> I was so nervous, I couldn't feel my arms or my legs. That's a problem if you're trying to play basketball. <laughs> for the first couple minutes of the game, I got my wish. But then the coach looked down the bench at me and said, lawyer, get in there. Of course, what he meant was take off your warm up, go to the scorer's table to check in, and when the game stops and the official waves you onto the court, then get out there and play. From the youngest age groups to the pros, that's how it works. That's how a player goes from the bench into a game. But that's not what I did. <laughs> as soon as I heard him say, lawyer, get in there, as nervous as I was, I ran right onto the court. I didn't even take off my warm-up shirt. <laughs> the referee, who was probably a bit puzzled by this, did the right thing and gave me a technical foul. <laughs> my first play of my high school career led to my first and what ended up being my only ever technical foul. Not a promising start. That was the most nervous and anxious I think I've ever been. But it was just one of a countless number of times I've been anxious in at least some way. If you've ever been nervous or anxious, faced any kind of performance anxiety, trust me, you are not alone. Today, we continue our worship series using that same phrase as the title, you are not alone. No matter who we are, we all face challenges. Sometimes we might wonder, am I the only one dealing with this? Am I alone in this struggle? We asked hundreds of people from our church and community to name things that cause them fear or anxiety. In this series, we're addressing common responses. We're considering practical steps for working through our fears and sources of anxiety. And we're reflecting on fear and anxiety in light of the promises of God. The good news is you can learn to live with courage and hope. Today, we're focusing on comparison and performance anxiety. This was a common response to our survey. A number of people mentioned the anxiety and even sometimes the fear that can come along with comparison and performance. That could mean comparing ourselves with our colleagues at work or people at the gym. It could mean facing pressure related to job performance or in looking for a job. 
It could mean comparing ourselves to others uh, who appear on TV shows or, or commercials and feeling like we just don't measure up, like we're not good enough or we don't have it together like others seem to. I think we all struggle with these things, comparing ourselves to others, getting anxious about performance, whether it's a game for our team, a test at school, a presentation or interview, a medical report, how's my body performing? Or just a new step into a new place or a new year maybe. There's no shortage of things that could cause us to be anxious around performance or how we compare to others. My sister was telling me about a friend of hers living in Europe, and her friend has adorable kids. Her husband has a great job. They take trips to gorgeous European cities and post pictures on social media. Their life looks perfect. Effortless perfection, right? We might look at other people and think, they've got it made. Their life of travel, their job, their house, their car, their health, and good looks, fill in the blank. If only I had what they have, then my life would be complete. Then I'd be content. I wouldn't have to worry at all. It'd be great. There's a saying about comparison that you've probably heard. The grass is always greener on the other side. It can be true for churches, too. There is no perfect church. It doesn't exist. Even if it did exist, the moment we joined it, it would no longer be perfect. Instead, join an imperfect church and serve in any way you can to make it nearer perfection. There is no perfect church structure. Whether a church is part of a denomination or is independent, every church faces structural imperfections and challenges. Last Friday, news was released, and that was when I learned of it too, about the United Methodist Church. Some of the headlines and reports were misleading. Media sensationalism does not help. Nothing official has happened. Nothing has changed. Regardless of what you might have heard on the news, the facts are these. A plan was publicly released by a group of 16 people who got together on their own and tried to develop a framework for the future of this global denomination, a framework that is as agreeable as possible to everyone. It's one of many plans submitted to the next General Conference in May 2020. General Conference is the only body that can speak for the United Methodist Church, and it consists of representatives from around the world, half of whom are pastors and half of whom are lay people. I'll share more in my weekly email uh, next week, and if you have questions or thoughts, you can contact me at any point. But hear this, regardless of denominations or affiliation, now or in the future, here at Spry, nothing will change about our vision and our mission from God. We will continue to be who we are, a church alive in Jesus, making disciples of Jesus, spreading scriptural holiness, and sharing God's love with all people. Meanwhile, 
We pray, we keep trusting the Lord, and we keep following Jesus together. We focus on the main thing and keeping the main thing the main thing. We celebrate what Jesus is already doing, and he's doing such great things here. I mean, extraordinary things. And this is really just the start. There's so much hope in that. So that's what we're going to continue to focus on. In various aspects of life, sometimes we compare ourselves to others. Uh, we, we compare ourselves to others, and, and sometimes we feel less than good enough. Sometimes we compare ourselves to others, and we end up thinking we're better than they are. Jesus tells a parable or story about the problem of comparison and the solution. He tells the story to some who were complacently pleased with themselves over their moral performance and looked down their noses at everybody else. Two men, Jesus says, went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was a, a religious leader from a group that prided themselves on how upright and righteous they were in their own eyes. It's like they could do no wrong, or so they thought. But tax collectors in biblical times were known for being corrupt. They'd take more money from people than they should and get rich as a result. So it's quite a contrast in characters in this story Jesus tells. And he goes on to say, the Pharisee stood up and prayed this about himself. Now listen to this prayer. This is, this is remarkable. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid, like this tax collector right here. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. What a prayer. <laughs> you wonder if he's talking to God or to himself there with that. And Jesus says, meanwhile, the tax collector stood at a distance slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus commented, this tax collector, not the other person, went home made right with God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I like how that last part is paraphrased in a version of the Bible called The Message. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. We all have our challenges. We all struggle with comparison and performance anxiety to some degree. If the answer doesn't lie in exalting ourselves at the expense of others, or in simple envy of others, then what is the answer? The point of Jesus' story is echoed in our scripture reading for today. The answer isn't to try to be like other people, but to be content to be simply yourself. The answer is humility that trusts in the Lord and in who he tells us we are. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, 
but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, in the teachings of God, and who meditates on God's law day and night. Consider this question. What are the two most important words of the day? Your day, my day. What are the two most important words of all the words we hear, say, are exposed to? What are the two most important words of the day? My take is the first word and the last word. Who gets the first word in your day? Who gets the last word? At one point, I realized my slow drift into giving social media the first word of my day. It was simple and benign, just a simple scroll through the photos my friends posted over the last half day or so. Then this realization, TV was getting the last word of my day. Before drifting off to sleep, I would watch the next episode of some show that had caught my attention along the way. First word, social media. Last word, TV. Days become weeks, weeks become months, months become years, and days, weeks, and months and years become us. Our lives consist not in the big decisions and banner events dotting our calendars, but in the little things we consistently do day after day after day. We are what we do every single day. Back to the question about the two most important words of the day. The first word and the last word. Each of us has the ability to decide who gets those words in our lives. You probably know where this is headed. But first let me tell you what happened with my social media and TV ways. The problem with me so often is the way I want to make social media and TV the problem when they aren't really the problem. The problem is really with me and the misspent priority of my own heart. So I didn't delete social media and swear off TV. Instead, I decided I would shift the priority of my heart. I determined to give the word of God the first word and the last word of my days. My day might be filled with a thousand distractions and a hundred course corrections, but it's now determined. My day will be framed, surrounded with, enclosed by the word of God. First word, last word, God's word. This is a proven step you can take each day that will offer reassurance in the face of fear or anxiety. It will provide words of hope and encouragement. It will help you draw strength from God. You can establish the habit of hearing from God each day. First word, last word, God's word. To help you do that, we're giving you a tool. In your bulletin, you have an insert, a 21-day reading plan. Please take it out now. 
If you need one, you can get yours after worship in a bulletin by the doors or at the Welcome Center. This booklet lists 21 scripture passages that offer reassurance in the face of fear or anxiety. I invite you to read the day's scripture in the morning when you awaken and to read the same passage again in the evening before sleep. Beginning your day this way can set the tone with a promise from God and then let the day come and come what may. Instead of reacting to fear and anxiety and breathless urgency, you'll be receiving peace and gratitude and the breath of God. And you'll be ready for anything. Many people find that doing this before bed allows them to sleep better. It places in their subconscious words of hope and encouragement that help push back their fears as they sleep. This simple practice can make a difference in your life. It's made a big difference in mine. The single most important thing you can do, listen to me, hear this please. The single most important thing you can do in 2020 to lead a life of peace and purpose is this every day. First word, last word, God's word. And if you're thinking, I don't know how, this is how. This is how. Use this tool. Our scripture reading this morning, Psalm 1, tells us that the one who delights in the teachings of God and meditates on God's law day and night, first word, last word, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. In other words, blessed is the one who has deep roots. I recently learned how an orange farmer prepared his trees for drought. When they were young, he would occasionally limit the water given to these trees for a set amount of time. And each time, the trees would, would push further into the dirt developing their root system. When drought would come, his trees would continue to thrive. Why? Because they had learned how to gain water in even the toughest seasons. Sometimes we go through seasons that are challenging. I've known such seasons, you have too. I've known many such seasons. Times when, by God's grace, I've needed to push deep, seeking the water of God's refreshment and grace to sustain. But God is good. Psalm 1 is true. Our roots grow deeper, and we find the power of God's grace to sustain us is so much greater than we imagined. My testimony is this. We are never alone. You are never alone. For all you in dry seasons, blessed is the one who continues to be faithful even in the drought. The love of God is not grounded in your feelings nor in your performance and not even in your love for him. God's love is grounded in his own faithfulness 
shown to us in Jesus. You are a tree planted by God's rivers. You can have deep roots that tap into the source of life continually. You are loved by God. And you are never, no, not one day, alone. Let's pray. And as we prepare for a time of prayer, I invite you to think of a worry or fear you have right now compared to comparison or related to comparison and performance. And offer that to God in a prayer like this, which I encourage you to echo in the silence of your heart. Lord, you know all things. Right now, I name before you in my heart the struggle that is on my mind. I release this situation and the outcome to you. I choose to trust in you. Thank you that your grace is always enough. Help me live with courage and hope and in the confidence of your unfailing love through Jesus Christ. Hear our prayers, God, for the United Methodist Church and for the Universal Church, your church all around the world, and for our mission and our witness today and always. As Jesus taught us, now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, 